today we're talking about joyful and triumphant. Share a picture uh, with you of a little girl. See, share this picture with you of Joy. Her, that little girl. Her name is Joy, and uh, her mom wrote a letter, um, kind of a, uh, she wrote a little story about this moment in this photo. This is what her mom said. And then, in an instant, the space of a breath, it all changes. And she, brave, steps her way into new hopes, new hearts, and a new life. It's unknown to her. A step toward what is to be always means a step from what was. And yet, she steps, grasping the fingers of her forever with the most courageous heart. Adoption. It's that beautiful and broken hallelujah. There's no erasing the loss of what was. It is also not a replacing the trading of one story for another. No. Adoption is that total gathering of all you were and are and who you will be. A tender holding of all the parts and pieces of the story, all the chapters that have been written and the ones yet to come. It's that hand, outstretched, that grabs on and steps bravely into a story, chooses that story and says, with all of me and all of us, we choose all of you. And it's that little hand that reaches up to take and to trust. Adoption is the story written full of courageous hearts, that brave first mama who gave birth and hope, the brave forever family who chose to step into unknowns, into the story of a child's loss and love, to enter into restoration and let themselves all be made whole. It's the for now ayahs and mamas who stood in the gap between the two, who loved that baby until it was time to give her away And oh, it's that brave, beyond words, baby girl who keeps stepping, keeps trusting, keeps loving with all her beautiful heart. Oh, joy, it's your day. A new chapter, a new start, a new future and hope, and I am amazed by your courage. Your smiles, your laugh, your tears, you dare me to be brave. Loved and chosen, today you become a daughter. Now and for always, what a story your life will tell. What a gift it is to see how you're absolutely adored and the way you've already lit hearts on fire with complete and utter joy. You took that first step, brave girl, and now a lifetime more. Home is a person, and you've found your place, perfectly sandwiched their hand in hand, 
as you step with your family formed. Forever home, Joy Lyons. Welcome home. That, my friends, is a picture of joyful and triumphant. Would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. So we're in this message series called, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. And each week, we're walking through a line of that famous hymn. So last week, Tim talked about, Oh, Come, All Ye Faithful. And he talked about, Who is Ye Faithful? And today, we're looking at uh, Joyful and Triumphant, that line from the song. And this story we just read... uh, is about a guy named Joshua from the book of Joshua. And it is the story of him coming. He's like on the edge of battle. And here's what we learn about joyful and triumphant from this story. Uh, First of all, joyful and triumphant comes when we get on God's side, not when he gets on ours. Joyful and triumphant comes because we know how the story will end, not because all our problems go away. Joyful and triumphant comes as an invitation into the suffering of Christ, not a get-out-of-earth-free card. So we're just going to walk through these together quickly this morning. The first one is joyful and triumphant comes when we get on God's side, not when he gets on ours. So in this story from the scriptures, Joshua's encounter with the commander of the Lord's army, um, we see Joshua, this leader of Israel, about to embark on like the height of his leadership career. Up until this point, Joshua has been telling the stories of Moses being the leader. But telling the stories, the amazing stories, of someone else's leadership is completely different than being the leader responsible yourself. So Joshua is about to embark on the siege of Jericho, Jericho, a city. It's a fortified city, many scholars believe, Um, was possibly one of the most heavily fortified cities among the Canaanite people groups. Um, Lots of 
obviously, like all of history, lots of different ideas about this city. Uh, when we went on a Platte Park pilgrimage uh, a couple years ago, we're going again in 2020 if you're interested, but you one of the places you visit uh, on the Holy Land tour is the city of Jericho. And Jericho um, boasts itself to be the oldest city in the world, but you visit this place. And um, I have a couple pictures of Tim and I in Jericho. This is Tim and I in Jericho on that Platte Park pilgrimage. And then uh, Vaughn and Barry, who some of you know from our faith community, that is them on a rooftop in Jericho. Uh, one of the fun things you can do in Jericho is ride a camel. So this is Tim being really confident on the camel. Um, do you want to see what I look like on the camel? <laughs> Not so confident. <laughs> but here, this is where this story takes place. And um, I will spare you the two-hour-long photo journey of our trip to Israel. Uh, but Joshua in this story is about to embark on the siege of Jericho. And uh, he's like on the precipice of battle. And suddenly he finds himself face to face with an unknown man. And the text doesn't describe the man. It only says that he has a sword in hand. So certainly, that would be cause for alarm. Uh, did the king of Jericho just hear what's about to happen and send someone out? Had they preemptively thwarted the plans that were about to happen? Um, probably most front of mind, is this guy going to kill me with the sword? So you can just imagine Joshua encountering this unknown man. And the conversation between them is so fascinating. Joshua asks a question that probably any of us would have asked given this situation. He just simply says, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Now, you would think that the commander of the armies of Yahweh would say to Joshua, your side. I'm on your side. But that is not the response. Instead, the commander says, Neither one. Some scholars say the translation better is no. Whose side are you on? No, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's armies. And then he says, and look down. You are standing on holy ground. Oh, you guys, this passage what we're seeing in this is that when God intervenes in a situation, he, first of all, always assumes command. Basically, the commander said to Joshua, I'm not on your side, but you're welcome to be on mine if you so choose. I'm not on your side, but you're welcome to be on mine if you choose. God does not take a second-in-command 
rule. Not in our lives, not in local churches. Whose side are you on? Neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And look down. This is holy ground. It's interesting, just in our world today, it's no surprise to anybody that the divides are deep. We are constantly being told we need to place people in categories. Like, is this person before me a good guy or a bad guy? Whose side are you on? But I wonder if God would say no. Neither. Look down. Holy ground. Because when you're talking about people, you're talking about people made in my image. Holy ground. When you're talking about an earth, the place I created and love, holy ground. So joyful and triumphant comes when we get on God's side, not when he gets on ours. And then secondly, joyful and triumphant comes because we know how the story will end, not because our problems go away. It's interesting, the commander in this situation, in this story, gives some really weird instructions. Very strange, very bizarre orders about marching around Jericho's walls, blowing trumpets. And it's sort of this picture of, it's this reminder that God invites us into a weird way. Like sometimes it seems very bizarre. Often it does not make sense from a human perspective. It's really the great mystery that we're invited into following God in the way of Jesus. That God is making all things new and we can't see all of it. It's this invitation into a weird way. Often that weirdness looks small and vulnerable and unseen, joyful and triumphant, looks different than happy and powerful American dream. So the third thing is joyful and triumphant comes as this invitation into the suffering of Christ. It's not a get-out-of-earth-free card. Um, I think there is a bit of a misunderstanding that we have sometimes in churches about what the gospel is. There's a misunderstanding, kind of a misnomer, and because of this misunderstanding, um, often people following Christ just do not see a reason for joy. They do not see a reason for calling life victorious. And uh, Here's the misnomer. Uh, contrary to what we often are taught, the gospel is not going to heaven when you die. That may be the most persistent, like deeply embedded gospel misnomer in our world today. You might call it like um, an evangelical transactional model for atonement. Basically, it says this. Have you ever heard this before? Jesus died for your sins. 
ask Jesus into your heart, go to heaven when you die. Can we just walk through why that is a bit of a misnomer? Many people would explain the gospel exactly this way. First of all, let's just walk through that first line. Jesus died for your sins. The death of Jesus means nothing without the resurrection. So one writer of the scriptures said this, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Now that is not to downplay the seriousness of the crucifixion event. It's just that it places the entire gospel into the Easter weekend. That's the proper context. It's all the events of that Passover weekend that comprise the gospel event. Second, ask Jesus into your heart. This is like, um, it's a bit of a reductionist invitation. It tends to overemphasize Western individualism's values, the things that we find attractive. It is kind of uh, a gateway invitation to a very privatized faith. Like, ask Jesus into your heart. If he's in my heart, what else matters? It's a bit of a disembodied understanding of the gospel. If he's in my heart, that's good enough. And so pop culture theology produces sort of this disembodied faith. Like I asked Jesus into my heart, so the rest of it doesn't really matter. Some theologians have called this moral therapeutic deism, where we basically view God like a divine life coach who is here to help us live our best life now so we can go to heaven when we die. Moral therapeutic deism. The third reason, this is kind of a misnomer understanding of the gospel, is go to heaven when you die. Can we talk about that? Go to heaven when you die. The idea of the gospel being about going to heaven when we die misses the point in a couple of key ways. First of all, heaven is an intermediate state to be followed by the final resurrection. So we tend to de-emphasize the scripture's teaching on the bodily resurrection of the dead at the return of Christ. And what happens is we start viewing this world as evil and the spirit as good and eternal. And that the, the view is that the material world is evil and the ideal state for the Christian is to like escape to the heavenly realm. But that is exactly the Gnostic heresy that the church fathers argued against in the first several centuries of the church. So heaven, you could say it like this, heaven is not the final destination for the follower of Christ. The final destination following the resurrection at the return of Christ is new creation not heaven. 
new creation, which the Bible often refers to as new heavens and new earth, that is a unified, renewed state where heaven and earth are joined, not separated. So this sort of reductionist view of the gospel, it creates a false dichotomy between evangelism and social justice. Because if um, it's all about invite Jesus into your heart, and if all this is passing away, then just get people to pray a prayer, but have no concern for their needs or broken social systems. But throughout the scriptures, we always see that authentic faith is bound to justice. It is married to justice. God is redeeming and restoring all things. And as we follow him, we join him in that work. So here's the thing. We can sing, O come, all ye faithful. How are you going to come? Joyful and triumphant. And our joy is triumphant because Christ is risen indeed, is coming again, and we too are going to rise. We can be joyful and triumphant because we are adopted into the family of God. We have a forever family that is secure. We can be joyful and triumphant because when we are facing battle, like Joshua was, And we ask, whose side are you on? Neither. Like, look down. This. It's holy, holy ground. This photo of little joy, I just love it. She steps forward into unknown but she holds the hands of the ones whose love for her knows no limit. And her story is yet to unfold. But she no longer walks it alone. And in a similar way, you, on the second Sunday of Advent, step forward into the unknown and you hold the hand of the one whose love for you knows no limit and your story like hers is yet to unfold but you no longer walk it alone and whatever you're facing joy sadness heartbreak gratitude, look down, because this is holy ground. So we can sing together, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Let's pray together as we close. As Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.